When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. I was born and raised in New Jersey just 15 miles east of the hustle and bustle of the Big Apple. My childhood was filled with time outside, but most of it was spent in the suburban way of being outside, riding bikes, playing Little League, and goofing around at the playground. I was more drawn to the glittering lights of the city than I was to nature. I loved the way the lights danced and twinkled. But for reasons I'll never know, in fourth grade, I became fascinated with astronomy. I wasn't more interested in science than the average nine-year-old, but something about the sky drew me in. I checked out countless books from the library about stars and wanted to learn to point out all the constellations. More than anything, I really wanted to see a shooting star. My school librarian helped me figure out when the next meteor shower would be visible, and I was bursting with excitement to see it. I'd read about the paths of these celestial beings, and now I was going to see it for myself. I begged my mom to take me to see the meteor shower, and we drove to the darkest place she could think of, the baseball field. With all of its lights turned off, the sky seemed huge. Our house was surrounded by big, old trees, and we hoped that the wide-open field would give us a better view of the sky and, in turn, a better chance of seeing a shooting star. Leaning against the car, I strained my eyes upward, desperate to see a light jet across the sky. I thought it would be easy, like the stars would just be all over the place. Five minutes passed, then ten, then thirty. I don't see any shooting stars, I remember thinking. I hardly see anything at all. There were, of course, some stars in the sky. I could always pick out Orion's belt. But what I didn't know at the time was that the light pollution from New York City was obscuring my chance of ever really seeing a meteor shower. And I decided, right then and there, that shooting stars must be a myth. Something like unicorns or leprechauns. A mystical thing that everyone had decided to collectively believe in, but that no one had actually ever seen. I gave up trying to look for them, and thought that maybe knowing that I'd never see one was part of what made it so special.
Years later, when I was in high school, my family moved to North Carolina. An hour south of Raleigh, our new home was in the boonies compared to anywhere I'd ever been. The sky was open and dark. On our first night there, we were all stunned when we looked up. It seemed like there were 20 times as many stars as any of us had ever seen before. There weren't as many big trees blocking the view, and we sat out on the porch, eyes wide, dazzled by the sparkling sky. But still, whether it wasn't quite dark enough or just by circumstance, I never saw a meteor shower or even a single shooting star. I left for college, and in my last year, I was briefly infatuated with a cute climber majoring in astrophysics. He had all sorts of telescopes and gadgets that we'd bring outside periodically, but they never seemed to work their magic for me. One night, he held a meteor shower party and invited a handful of friends. I remember thinking that the whole thing was ridiculous, a group of adults standing around in the cold looking for something that they wouldn't see. I strained my neck and looked at the sky, holding out the tiniest scrap of hope. They'd scream and point to the sky, but by the time I looked, it would be gone. I thought the whole thing was a terrible prank, and I felt tears well up in my eyes. Why can't I see them? I thought to myself. After an hour of searching, I gave up and went inside, while everyone else stayed outside and kept up their charade. Three days after graduating from college, I moved to Southeast Alaska for the summer. Everything was beautiful, wild, and bright. So bright that I had to hang towels over the windows in order to get some sleep. I longed to see the northern lights, but alas, I left before the long nights came back. When my job ended, though, I migrated with some of my friends to Utah to work at a ski resort in Little Cottonwood Canyon. Here, I thought, it must be darker. But once again, my plans to see the stars move was thwarted by the smog and city lights that hung over Salt Lake City and my home in the canyon all winter long. The days started to get longer, and when my colleagues invited me on a weekend camping trip to the San Rafael Swell, I had no reason to say no. I'd never seen the desert before, and I was so excited to bask in the sun after months of shivering in the mountains. We drove south for hours as the red walls rose up around us. We stopped to see roadside pictographs and petroglyphs painted on the walls by the swell's original inhabitants. I felt my heart swell. I loved the desert instantly. After hours on the move, we arrived at a beautiful and remote overlook. We assembled our camp chairs, made a fire, and cooked dinner as the sun went down. It got darker and darker and darker. We were laughing and cracking beers when something in the sky caught my attention. It was like a blur, a streak of haze or clouds across the sky, a smudge maybe. I thought it must be my eyes. Maybe I needed new glasses? I wiped my lenses clean on my shirt, but the smudge in the sky remained. You guys, I interrupted the conversation, completely transfixed by my blur. Do you see this smudge across the sky? They looked at me like I had two heads. I pointed to the smudge. You know, I said, that hazy streak across the sky. They all turned and looked to where I was pointing. We were silent, staring, until finally one of them said, do you mean the Milky Way? No, I laughed. No, I'm not talking about stars. It's like this cloudy streak across the sky. Lauren, they all started to howl with laughter. That is the Milky Way. I couldn't believe it. 
I didn't want to tell my friends that I didn't even think it was physically possible for humans to see the Milky Way with their own naked eyes. I stared and stared and stared as pictures of our galaxy that I'd studied in books as a kid rushed back to me. The sky seemed to stretch endlessly in every direction, and I sat there, incredulous, as I tried to take in the immensity of being able to see our own galaxy, our own place in the universe, spiral out in front of me infinitely. It was awesome, in the truest sense of the word. And then, out of nowhere, a flash shot across the sky. There it was, my very first shooting star. In the 10 years since that trip, I've been lucky enough to travel and live all across the American West. I feel most at peace in places where the sky is dark and vast. Towns like Moab, Big Sky, aptly named, and Bishop, the place I plan to call home forever. Places where I can be reminded of how small I am when compared to the infinite space in front of me. Even in a place as beautiful as Yosemite Valley, the sky is just a sliver between the towering valley walls. And after time, it begins to feel suffocating. I've typically avoided cities for this same reason. In big cities, I feel small, but not in a good way. Smashed between buildings and a constant cacophony of sound, I feel claustrophobic. So two years ago, when I moved from the Eastern Sierra to the Bay Area for grad school, I was scared. Lots of things about Berkeley made me nervous. There were few geographical landmarks to guide me, so I was constantly getting lost. And there were five times as many people on the campus alone as there are in Bishop. But there was one great thing about Berkeley. Each day, from campus, I'd ride my bike up and up into the hills. Then I'd go up a flight of creaky old stairs to my room, where the windows opened west to a million-dollar view of San Francisco. The sparkling lights of the Bay Bridge drew my eyes toward the city, where the buildings seemed to dance and glimmer. I could hardly see any stars from Berkeley, but to my surprise, I didn't really care. The city lights across the San Francisco Bay were mesmerizing, and I found myself sitting on my bed, night after night, watching them twinkle, until I'd reluctantly pull in the drapes and fall asleep. After years of making disparaging remarks about too loud, too fast, too bright cities, I was almost embarrassed by my fascination with the glimmering lights. It was a manufactured beauty, not the natural kind I'd become accustomed to when looking toward the sky. But soon, I learned that city lights and sparkling stars had more in common than I knew. They twinkled for the same reason. The magic behind both spectacles is called scintillation, and the atmosphere standing between my eyes and these lights whether they're light years away or just across the bay, was causing them to twinkle in the same way. This past spring, after graduating, I finally moved back to Bishop, thanking my lucky stars that those dark skies still exist. Now, when I sit outside at night, I'm just as entranced by the night sky as I was that first night in the San Rafael Swell, but my appreciation for it is deeper. I wish I could spend all my time in places dark enough to see the Milky Way, 
The great smudge in the sky will never lose its luster with me, no matter how beautiful the lights of San Francisco. The excitement I feel when I see a fleck of light shoot across the sky remains the same, and I hope it always does. I'm Lauren Delane Miller, and this is my short. Thank you, Lauren, for sharing your story. We love having you as part of the team. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from David Katz, Alabasa, Joya, and Jesse Sibbenberg. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was written and produced by Lauren Delaney Miller with additional production help from Ashley Langholtz and Becca Cahal. Artwork by Walker Cahal. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtback Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>